1: talk is about to begin hey 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 come on in
2: what if Graham Mertz isn't good welcome back to Buckeye talk it's Doug LaMaurice Nathan Baird and Stephen Means Ohio State 52 21 over Wisconsin we are going to start on the defensive side of the ball for Ohio State but then when we when we talk about the Ohio State offense I think it's possible We saw something um, that was about as successful as we have seen it in the Ryan Day era. Um, Nathan, when we talked about this on the pregame show, uh, the headline I wound up putting on the pregame show was Ohio State-Wisconsin is Jim Knowles versus Graham Mertz. Uh, Ohio State was down three of its top four cornerbacks. You thought, all right, maybe they'll be able to attack Ohio State a little bit. Wisconsin gained like, uh, let's see, how many yards? 296 total yards, 5.3 yards per play, and that was greatly aided by a 75-yard brilliant Allen run against second stringers late in the game. How did you think Jim Knowles and this Ohio State defense fared against what Wisconsin tried to say was an attack?
1: I think you'd have to give them, you know, strong marks for what they did in this game now i think talking to tommy Eichenberg after the game i was kind of bringing up this this same concept because ohio state broke a trend tonight if you remember notre dame goes down and drives on its first drives for field goal on the first possession of that game arkansas state uh did nothing on its first possession ohio state goes up seven nothing arkansas state goes down and kicks a field goal and then toledo Ohio State scores first. Toledo goes right down and scores. So uh, tonight, this defense made its impact early. You get the, the Ohio State scores, uh, opening drive. Tanner McAllister gets the interception. They turned that into a touchdown. They shut Wisconsin down again. They turn that into a touchdown. So all of a sudden, it's 21 to nothing. And reminiscent of a little bit of the Michigan State game last year, now you've got a team that is sort of taken out of its comfort zone and what it wants to do offensively taken out of its game plan and put in a position that was favorable for Ohio State I was a little bit surprised still that Wisconsin didn't come after those corners more than they did I know that your bread and butter is Braylon Allen and I think they have more confidence in him at the end of the day than they do Graham Mertz for good reason but you're down your two starting tackles too like I don't understand why they didn't just attack those corners a little bit more than they did. Um, but also uh, I, I I don't know what was really there for them once they're down 21 to nothing.
2: Obviously the Graham Mertz pick on the Wisconsin's first drive, Steven thrown behind his receiver, Tanner McAllister makes a really nice kind of with his hands, just reaches out and snags the ball. Really nice interception sets up Ohio state on a short field to go up 14 nothing after Ohio state has scored on its first drive. Why, why didn't they maybe try to go after J.K. Johnson and Jair Brown again with Denzel Burke out, came out with a club on his hand after we did all that discussion after he wasn't at practice on Wednesday. And then it was like, no, it's good we had that discussion because I hope I think people who listened to this podcast were on alert for maybe something going on with Denzel Burke had a club on his hand. No Cam Brown. No, Jer- Jordan Hancock. They were both out on the availability report. That means J.K. Johnson, who coming into the season, we would have called the fourth corner. I think because we would have called Jordan Hancock third, and then all they have left—the only other two scholarship guys in the cornerback room—are Jair Brown and Ryan Turner, two true freshmen. So, so Stephen, they start corner four and corner five. Ryan Day said they played with no fear. So I have to go back and look at the film and stuff. But it didn't matter, Steven. Like it didn't – the fact that Ohio State didn't have its three top cornerbacks, as it turned out, really had no effect on this game. Wisconsin didn't really
0: try them the way that you would expect teams to try, especially Jair Brown, because at least J.K. had some – film of meaningful snaps on the table just because this has been a thing all season at this point that Jordan Hancock hasn't played. Cameron Brown, has he missed basically the entire second half of the Toledo game. Denzel Burke got benched at one point. So, like, J.K.'s worked in there some, so maybe you have a little bit of respect for him. But Jair had played no meaningful snaps until today. Now he's a starting corner, and yet even from, you know, somebody asked Tanner McAllister, like, are you surprised that, like, those corners didn't get tried more? Like, by the way, he's answering that question. He was a little thrown off a little bit that those two guys didn't get tried more than they did. But in the passing game, they, whether it was in the passing game or maybe even running Braylon Allen, Allen directly at these corners, that just wasn't on the table for Wisconsin, which is the most confusing thing in the world because the corners have already been the weak link of the defense. And then, like, you made it even weaker by taking the two experienced guys off the field.
1: But, Doug, you pointed that out to our texters and that, uh, before the game that we'd seen this before we saw the start of last season when Ohio state was putting Denzel Burke and Ryan Watts and legend Cavazos on the field in uh, really unadvantageous situations. Like some of the two of those guys were obviously in over their head and it looked like it as far as the way Minnesota and then especially Oregon could run the ball against Ohio state. And we were a little bit on alert for that. We were a little bit, our antenna were up at the start of this game that maybe that was where Ohio state was going to get burned by Wisconsin and the rest of this defense I thought pretty effectively choked that off.
2: You, you didn't see them attacking the edge in the run game the way Oregon did it last year. Uh, you know, that, that was, that was where I thought. And again, maybe Braylon Allen bounced went out. I did just, it didn't feel like they ran wide very much at all. And they were down. Wisconsin was down. It's two starting tackles. One guy had started at right tackle in week one and has been hurt since then. And then the left tackle was hurt. So then the guy who had been playing right tackle had to move to left tackle. So again, they're they're not at full strength in their offensive line. And as we talked before the game, their offensive line this year maybe isn't as good as many years. I, I sometimes wonder if people I, you can hear, can you guys ever hear aggravation in my voice? Does that ever happen on this podcast? You think? Like you hear just some. Ah, I wonder if Doug's <laughs> aggravated. Never hear no? okay. I know. So I get aggravated at the opponents of Ohio State. And it's not because I want them to win or don't want them to win or whatever. But what I want teams to do when you are coming in to Ohio Stadium with a talent deficit, which is basically almost everyone that comes into Ohio Stadium. I want you to have a plan that, that is a plan that isn't the exact same thing you always do. And then I want you to shoot your shot. Why are you here? Why come? And Wisconsin, with the new offensive coordinator and in Bobby Engram, with a good running back and, a, again, a quarterback that I thought, when he was comfortable, had made some throws in the first three weeks. It felt like they just slammed Braylon Allen into the middle of the line against Mike Hall and Tommy Eichenberg and JT Trumaloo and everybody else and Graham Mertz. They didn't do anything to admit, like he wasn't comfortable most of the time. I don't know if they max protected very much, but they didn't, he, when he was on the move, he was bouncing throws. He got happy feet a lot. He played terrible. He was 11 of 20 for 94 yards. And, and Nathan, I think a lot of that is Ohio State, but I thought Wisconsin's plan was terrible. And if people thought I was, drooling over Daquan Finn and Toledo last week. That's why. Because Daquan Finn at least took his shot. He at least was, all right, Ohio State's going to do this to me. I'm going to bring it back. Graham Merch when he got out of the pocket and ran, he slid after three yards. He was no threat in the run game. He couldn't throw on the move at all. And Wisconsin never never really did anything to threaten the Ohio State defense. So, like, I'm aggravated with, like, take a better shot, Wisconsin, or just stay home. Or, Nathan, is this just Jim Knowles, that defensive line, Tanner McAllister, Ronnie Hickman, Steele Chambers, Tommy Eichenberg. They just took care of business, and there was nothing Wisconsin could do.
1: I, mean, I think the answer is somewhere in the middle there. I mean, obviously, I had been pointing out pretty – uh adamantly all week what i thought of graham mertz i mean you can king of the noodle arms is still slinging linguine back there like he could be the best one of them but like you're still just a noodle arm and i i said it on the texas afternoon like he's a noodle arm until he proves otherwise in ohio stadium and he that, that's what Not he close. is. that's, Not that's what he is that's what he is that's just that's the ceiling, and it's why Wisconsin's gonna be a four or five loss team, probably once you factor in a bowl game at the end of this year. They're just not See. special offensively. And but I will say this so first drive, Ohio State's up 7-0. First drive for Wisconsin, Braylon Allen, Braylon Allen, Braylon Allen, first down. They run with the other guy, get zero yards, and then second and ten, Graham Mertz goes back to pass, stares down his quadrant of the field and then throws a ball that his receiver had no idea it was supposed to be there don't know who that was on but the receiver it's not like he threw it before the break and the guy was just going to turn and meet it like he threw it in a like behind the guy like it was they clearly were not on the same page the only person who could have caught it was Tanner McAllister and then a couple seconds later it's 14 to nothing and pretty quickly it's off to the races from there like once you're down 14 to nothing to Ohio State and you know that you only got Graham Mertz at quarterback, I think the urgency ramps up so much for Wisconsin that now they're playing against a second opponent.
0: Bobby Ingram did not call a game that suggested Wisconsin came here to win today. And I think that's what Doug's getting at. When you say take your shot, every other team, even Notre Dame, all three of the previous opponents came in here and had a moment where it's like, well, that was interesting, and that got Ohio State on its heels a little bit. I don't know what did that for Wisconsin today. Maybe it's when they went Wildcat, but the game was over by then. But by the time they went Wildcat with Braylon Allen and started doing a lot of that stuff, I don't remember a play just offhand right now that early in the game was like, "This is our, we're taking our shot at you," and
1: yeah, you I, you, you you played kind of scared. I, I wonder how much. Yeah, I wonder how much of that is just a, a pride thing. Like, Wisconsin has its identity. It has been the best team, best program in the West for a while based on that identity, and it feels like we sh- they should be able to come in and, like, win with their identity or whatever. But I, I'm with you, Doug, and we, we overthought it coming in thinking that that's what they would do, that they would maybe come in and see, you know, play with the element of surprise a little bit. And that was before we knew they were going to be down – Burke and Brown we thought even with Burke yeah. and Brown available Wisconsin yeah. would probably come in and attack Ohio State's corners because that had been the weakest point of the defense to this to this point and um, I, I was I'm still surprised that they didn't do more and I think you've got to come in with something you've got to come in with a little bit of the, something that Ohio State has not yet seen on film
2: and it's not like again it's not trick plays we're not asking for flea flickers but why not even did they throw any bubble screens and and do one of those where it's like, i oh. Oh, got two receivers out there. We're going to go throw quick to the receiver, have the other receiver make one block on one of these young corners and try to try to spring somebody. Right. They didn't, I didn't feel like they, they ran wide. They didn't run. They had one play
0: like that. where It wasn't a bubble screen, but one play where it was clear that they were attacking a corner with a
2: blocker and it worked. It just ended up being a hold at the same time. Yeah. Oh yeah. They did have that hold that hurt them. So, um, I don't know. I just, whatever, Wisconsin, congratulations on having an identity. It didn't work at all. It didn't come close to working. But I do think, I didn't know if Jim Knowles, okay, well, you know, we've never seen a team like this, Jim Knowles, and, and they were ready for it. Again, the pick right off the bat just changes the whole complexion of the game. A lot of credit for Tanner McAllister, Nathan, a lot of times throws like that, Terrible throw. It's three yards behind his receiver. But it was still in a tough spot, like where the ball's kind of on Tanner McCall. He, he made a really nice catch on it. So I know you talked to you, Tim. He played very well. Tommy Eikenberg had 14 tackles, including two tackles for loss. He's all over the place. Ohio State only had one sack. It was a Jack Sawyer sack early. But, Nathan, I did think they made Graham Mertz uncomfortable the whole game. And I don't know what the pressures will be, what the hurries will be, but... They didn't let him sit there and rip throws, and once he had to be on the move a little bit or try to throw on the run, that's when he was throwing ground balls to his receivers. So I did think, I don't want this to only be bad play calling, bad quarterback play by Wisconsin. The, North, the Ohio State defense came in and absolutely did what it had to do, and I thought played
1: very well. Yeah, I mean, one sack on 21 pass attempts, that's really not that bad of a ratio. You know what I mean? Like, the Wisconsin didn't throw it that much. Again, in a game that they lost by 31 points, they weren't trying to throw the ball much. So I really, I don't know. Whatever. whatever. Um, and by the way, increasingly, the Wisconsin identity is becoming, they are no longer the power in the West. This is trending towards being the third year in a row where they're not going to play in a Big Ten Championship game. But uh, I digress. Um, I, I thought Tanner McAllister was... This was his best game for Ohio State so far. I, that interception was big. He had a couple of the big hits in this game. Uh, I don't know how bad that uh, tight end is hurt, but like the top tight end, Cundiff for Wisconsin. But that was Tanner McAllister's tackle, and I'm not saying he was like trying to hurt him, but like yeah. that was had a foot know,
2: it, had his foot in a boot afterward. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
1: that was a that was a really physical moment of attack that he played. And then right after that, comes back and gets like that diving. Um, uh pass deflection at the at the end zone when when uh, Wisconsin's trying to hit a home run there like I, and he that was huge to have stability from the safety group playing like over the top of these young inexperienced somewhat exposed corners was massive. I mean Ryan Day was pointing out how he he had gone over and said something to Ronnie Hickman about that, that they needed to go out there and lead those guys. And I think that was happening verbally, but it was also happening with the way that those guys played that safety group. That was such a catastrophe at times in the last couple of years and, and the problems they've had at the back end of this defense, like tonight showed how that has really come full circle. And that's a incredibly dependable sort of backbone at the back of what Jim Knowles is doing.
0: He's been a quality addition to the safety room. You know, he's his impact on the safety room is almost similar to what Jonah Jackson's impact was on the offensive line room in 2019.
2: That's a ridiculous statement. We're not even dig- dignified. It literally- <laughs> he he, uh, he 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 has been it, it is it's it's Steven, It's it's kind of that it's solidifying. Right. Like it's yeah. and then but then guess what? He made a couple plays tonight. Made a nice pick. Yeah. Made a play on a ball in the air. Right. But I mean, like that was I do think that was a valuable point, And the way Ryan Day explained it, of, we got young corners and I told our safeties, make sure you have their back. And they did. Yeah. And that's and that's how it should work in a, in a situation is, like that. This is
0: the epitome of what they mean when they say safety driven defense. And I they got, they got tested to its greatest limits because you're playing young cornerbacks. But the idea of the, the safety driven defense is that Jim Knowles is going to attack with everybody else in the the front seven consistently, and even the corners at times. I mean, his first play as defensive coordinator here, he sent Denzel Burke on a cornerback blitz. That's kind of crazy, but everybody else is in attack mode. So your safeties have to be erasers. And instead of it being like the single high safety where it's like, oh, Jordan Fuller's is your only eraser, so he has to cover all this ground, you've got three of those guys out there now. While everybody else is basically attacking a ball carrier, it's their job to make sure that – Because sometimes when you attack, you miss. And their job is to make sure that instead of it being a 65-yard touchdown, it's Mm -hmm. a seven-yard game. And today, more than ever, that was needed just because of what you had at corner. And Tanner McAllister, Mm -hmm. Ronnie Hickman, and Josh Proctor really stepped up.
2: And and Rob Oliver from the Dispatch asked Ryan Day about this. I think – Jair Brown got called for a hold or something. I, I didn't even notice yeah. it, but I guess Ryan Day was jumping on the ref about it. And he was, was saying like, yeah. why are you doing that? Is it because you're mad at the call? You're trying to show a young guy you have his back. And Ryan Day said, well, it's both, but I do want to show that. I thought that was, it was the right combination, Nathan, of these corners. They said, like, what, again, Ryan Day said they played with no fear. So don't be scared and try to do what you're supposed to do right? Like, like that was the trouble last year against Oregon was the corners didn't like fulfill the basic fundamental assignments on plays. Well, in this play, when they block this guy like this, now this becomes your responsibility and they didn't live up to those responsibilities, Mm -hmm. but just don't be scared and do your job and we'll have your back. Whether that's Ryan day, whether that's Jim Knowles, whether that's Perry Eliano and Tim Walton, especially Tim Walton as the corners coach, or whether that's, Hickman, McAllister, and Proctor. And that's a nice thing, Nathan, that it felt like those guys weren't scared and then everybody around them rallied. And the result is they played their fourth and fifth corner the whole game. We thought maybe Cam Martinez would have to work in an outside corner. I don't know. I didn't see him, right? They just played their fourth and fifth corner the whole game and it didn't matter. And that's quite a thing.
1: Yeah, and there's a little bit of a chicken before the egg situation that plays in here. But, like, uh, with, with Brown, I, I thought that that pass interference call was sort of touchy. Uh, yeah. Like, I kind of saw why it got called, but whatever. But then later, he has another borderline play where the officials gave him the, the benefit of the doubt, and he got in and broke up a pass. And it, I want to give those guys credit for just showing up and playing as as solidly as they did but brown and, and johnson on the edge i mean i don't think that's an easy thing to do but i also think that last year if they're having to put their fourth and fifth cornerbacks on the field it was a disaster not just because their fourth and fifth cornerbacks weren't ready but because the whole defense had less structural integrity this year even if that was sort of a weak point maybe there was a limit to how much Wisconsin really could attack those guys because really every other spot on the defense now, aren't you pretty confident that those other nine guys are doing their job and it'll much more than you were a year ago at this time with this defense? Yeah,
2: even if if they're not playing at an All-American or All-Big Ten level, I think you think they're doing their
1: job. It's stability. It's just it's just kind of a basic stability that this defense has now. That they're not really out there doing like amazing things, but 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 Jim Knowles has been kind of telling us that the whole time that um, when he talks about even like tackling drills, it, you know, they do a lot of tackling drills that don't involve tackling. It's are you in the right spot? They just be in the right mm-hmm. spot. If you're in the right spot, you've almost done something positive, even if you miss the tackle, because if you've at least like made the the defense, the ball carrier do a thing maybe you didn't want him to do and now if that next guy is in the right spot he's going to make the tackle it's it's just those that kind of those layers of stability that they're working with now that we're not there a year ago and we did not get jim Knowles after
2: the game today we only got ryan day but ryan day especially talk about braylon Allen, again it was a big six two back said he thought they gang tackled right and maybe even if you thought he was maybe going to squirt out of the first couple tackles. There was always, he said, like an extra guy at the party, Stephen, that they didn't, again, until he did it against the backups. And Ryan Day said, Ryan Day wanted to put the backup defensive guys in the game at that point, and Jim Knowles didn't want to. And Ryan Day overruled the head coach of the defense and put in the backups and Braylon Allen immediately ripped off a 75 yard touchdown. Yeah. And I'm sure sh- I can just imagine Jim Knowles is probably like, oh, head coach of the defense, fine. Head coach of the defense, they won't even listen to me. You take over my <laughs> side of the ball. I can't believe it. So I'm sure Jim Knowles is mad and Ryan Day is going to have to buy him a cigar or a piece of sushi. But um, that idea, that's important, Stephen, right? That again, if you have enough guys doing their job in the right spot, even if it takes five guys to bring down Braylon Allen, well, I think Ohio State felt like they had the five guys there almost every time. 90 yards on
0: 22 carries when you take out that 75 yard run, and it's the backups and us, basically. Um, yeah, they did. The, that's. Knowles talked about that on Tuesday when we got him the idea of how you take down a bigger back like that. It's got to be everybody. It's not going to be on one person because if it's one person, he's bouncing off for that. They did gang tackle, even if I did not realize Tommy Eichenberg had 14 tackles until you said that. That's. I don't even know where to begin with. That's pretty impressive, but they did exactly what the game plan was against another Wisconsin running back. And that's gang tackle. And that's why it was four, it was 4.1 yards per carry for him before that. So job
2: well done. But I also will say to wrap up the Ohio state defensive portion of this last year when Ohio state had a clear deficiency on defense, Joe Moorhead, the Oregon offensive coordinator attacked the deficiency until it cracked and he attacked it some more. And then and then and I it didn't feel like Wisconsin did that. No. So now the deficiencies weren't as deficient. And Ohio State was there with the with the what's it called? Gawk? Sock? What's the stuff? K A Uh. I don't even know C-A-U-L-K. what you're C-A-U-L-K. trying to get at right now. Gawk? Why did I call I it know. gawk? I don't, I, don't I don't know what don't know you're know. trying to get at. So. Cawk. They were there with the caulk more quickly. Right. Cock says, it. ah, cock. And they brought the cock, C-A-U-L-K, more quickly than they did a year ago. So, So, yes, Nathan, it wasn't as deficient and they were quicker to patch it. But also, I don't think Wisconsin tried it as much as Oregon did. And maybe if they would have tried a little bit harder and a little more effectively, maybe it would have made, maybe Wisconsin would have been a little more effective offensively. Not that they would have won the game, though.
1: Yeah, I think they might have been able to not get buried quite as quickly as they did to where it's twenty-one nothing and twenty-eight nothing. Like I, I but last year, I think it's fair to say right now that the deficiencies were so much more widespread than just those corners. This defensive line is better than last year's defensive line. I think the tackles are playing better than last year's tackles played. The linebackers are are clearly better than what you saw on the field for Ohio State last year. And especially once Josh Proctor got hurt. Last year, the safety play has been elevated from what you had last year, including even the the slot corner in that that mix or cover safety, whatever they're calling it last year. So it's it's both. I think that I think you're right that there was a missed opportunity here for Wisconsin, and I think that um, I I don't know how long that regime is going to stay in place if if things if the wheels keep spinning this way for Wisconsin. But I think we also saw evidence of how much better this defense is, top to bottom, showing up tonight.
2: All right, quick break. When we come back, we're going to start talking about the Ohio State offense next on Buckeye Talk. All right, I want to talk offense, but I want to save C.J. Stroud for the third part of the podcast. So let's talk about play calling. Let's talk about the running backs. Let's talk about the offensive line. Let's talk about Cade Stover. Let's talk about the receivers. Steven, Jackson Smith and Jigba has played a handful of 38 snaps. And... It, it certainly didn't matter tonight. So we're, we're mostly dealing with tonight's game. We had kind of maybe thought, all right, well, it's Wisconsin. Hey, you get hurt against Notre Dame. You don't really do much against Arkansas State and Toledo. But like, hey, now it's Wisconsin. And then it's like, no, he's out. Mm-hmm. So Ryan Day said they just wanted to give him another week. They hope to have him back Tuesday at practice to get him ready to go for Rutgers next week. But the thing that we did see, Steven, which we kind of didn't see before, right, as much because when Jackson was out, then Julian Fleming's also, you just put a mecca in the slot. So it's Julian at X or Marvin at X, Julian at Z, a mecca in the slot. And now you're just, it's just a mecca for, for Jackson. And a yeah. mecca Iguka is not as good as Jackson Smith and Jigbo right this second, but it's not slowing down the passing game. It's hard to say, Stephen. But like, we would be fair to say we kind of didn't notice that Ohio State's best offensive skill player wasn't there tonight. Kind of didn't matter. We could say Mecca Buka isn't as good as Jackson Smith the Jigba is right now. Um, he had six catches for 118
0: yards and two touchdowns, and he was playmaking in the slot. But I mean, I think there might be a case that he's as good as what Jackson Smith the Jigba was at this point in his career at the last year. That they might be the same player. I don't know. Five star recruit, number one. Wide receiver in his class is starting to pop. Uh, That makes sense to me. I think, to be quite honest with you, the only person who missed Jackson Smith the Jigba this week, just from a statistical standpoint, was probably Marvin Harrison. Because without Jackson Smith the Jigba, he was the one getting doubled all night. With the safety over the top, which is why he only had three
2: catches for 4 yards. You're just mad because he didn't catch a touchdown pass. That too. Yes,
0: um, of course. But more, but ser- it's like someone's got to get double. And if Marvin has clearly proven himself to be their second best weapon in the wide receiving core, maybe their best. I mean, I, I saw some like NFL st- scouts after last week saying he's wide receiver one for the 2024 NFL draft, which is way out there. But it's like. That's now the best weapon from the receiving core. So you double him all night, which opened up Emeka Ibuka, which opened up Julian Fleming, who continues to start looking like the dude who was once the number one receiver in the country in 2020. So everybody else gets to eat while Marvin is now the guy who was taking attention for everything. But other than that, yeah, this passing game moved as normal.
2: Yeah. Which is, I mean, I guess what should be expected, but it was also is also still a little bit crazy to say Emeka Ibuka six for 118. Two touchdowns, Julian Fleming, four for 67. One touchdown, Cade Stover at tight end, four for 51. Two touchdowns, Marvin Harrison Jr., three for 45 overall. Those are the only four guys who caught passes, 17 receptions for 281 yards and five touchdowns. Nathan, I think the offensive line played really well. It felt like they were shoving the line of scrimmage back three yards. And the thing that I was particularly interested in was the way Ohio State spread Wisconsin out. They had Cade Stover out in the slot a lot, spread them out, and then ran the ball. And it wasn't like Wisconsin likes to, now I'm back on Wisconsin's predictable play calling. It's like, hey, you know how we run the ball? Let's get seven tight ends in the game and put everybody within four inches of each other and see if we can slam ahead for three yards. Ohio State spread everything out, opened up gaps. Guys won one-on-one battles on the offensive line. And then there were gigantic holes, but that line like got after it. I thought again, Nathan, which is not a surprise, but it's rounding into form
1: pretty well. Yeah. I mean, Wisconsin's not quite three yards and clouded us. I think Braylon Allen and Trevion Henderson had essentially the same yards per carry last year. So, I mean, um, but yeah, I agree with what you're saying about Ohio state's offense and the approach that they took tonight. And, I had commented, I think, last week maybe on the postgame pod about how I thought that Ohio State was getting away from attacking the the horizontally a little bit, getting away from some of the long handoffs, as they call them, those, those screens out to the side. But that was what they used to really soften Wisconsin up tonight. They were getting a lot of gashes out there, getting guys the ball in space and letting them create. Out on the sides, out on the edges, and then as you're saying, like attacking with Henderson and, and Williams up up the middle. I was seeing that Wisconsin reporters were tweeting about um, how poorly they thought Wisconsin defenders were getting off the ball throughout this game, or getting, or I'm sorry, getting off of blocks throughout this game. And I thought that was evidence of the what Ohio State's line was doing like pushing those guys back into the second level really Henderson and Williams both didn't have to work that hard to get you know get a foot into that second level and uh I thought you know those linebackers for Wisconsin didn't let them like get too loose a lot but it was still a lot of like eight nine yard chunks that that Williams and Henderson both seemed to be getting and uh the, the the sticks were just moving all night f- with this ground game. And there was a point in the third quarter where I think the, the ratio was like 22 to 13 on runs to passes. And it, it started to feel a little bit like 2019 to me, where you had a defense that was kind of just shutting an opponent down and they were content. Back then it was just J.K. Dobbins, but content to just give the ball to their running back. In this case, it's two guys and let that, be what is propelling this team down the field.
2: Donovan Jackson spoke on behalf of the offensive line. Donovan is a a nice guy. It's sometimes hard to explain. It's like, hey, you know, you guys kind of did everything you wanted. And Donovan Jackson was very big on the Like, well, we have a lot of things to clean up. And it's like, do you? (laughs) Do you? But he did say, and I believe this is a direct quote, it's gratifying to move a man from point A to point B, which Oh, not I can't
0: a, wait to re-listen to that because he's so nice. So hearing yeah. him talk violent like that, it's probably so But it polite. was
2: such, it was, it was very polite violence. Yeah. Which I'm sure he'll have a t-shirt line called polite violence for the NIL by the end of the week. Polite violence brought to you by Donovan Jackson. It, it is, but like that is a, it's basically an encapsulation of football. It's gratifying. Is it gratifying to move a man? It makes me want to move a man from point A to point B. I tried to move Melandis, didn't get anywhere. So. I, I thought that that was, they, it, I kind of want to ask Ryan today about this next week. And we've, we've asked him these kind of things before, but there are times, Stephen. I thought it especially true in the passing game again tonight, but in the run game, even, because it wasn't, it wasn't, Mayan had a really good run where he broke two tackles on a third down run, two tackles behind short yeah. of the first down line to gain and then went another 20 yards after that. And if he had gone down on the first hit or gone down on the second hit, it would have been fourth down and instead it was an explosive play. That was really good. A lot of the other stuff it I didn't feel like it was grinded out run game. It was super effective run game, but it was kind of wide wide zone maybe like the holes are there. They're they're like it's 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 gashing people. But it's it's certainly not three yards in the cloud of dust. But I think it was all like the balance of the run in the past, the way they spread them out. And I thought that, you know, the first drive, they throw basically a bubble screen to Marvin Harrison, gets 18. They run Cade Stover down the middle, out of the slot, gets 22. And then a crossing route to Mecca Buka gets 33. And it's like over here, over here, over there. What do you do? And that set up everything they wanted to do in the run game, I think, Stephen, the rest of the game. Because they spread them out, showed them what we could do to you in the passing game. And then Wisconsin was like, oh, shoot. And then they gashed him with the run. But it, it was, I don't want to say it's easy. Of course it's not. But, Steven, there are times when this offense is on where it absolutely looks easy. And the thing that always happens to me is I think a play went for three yards or four yards. And it went for eight or ten. And half the time, I can't believe it because it was the easiest 10 yards you just ever saw in your life. Ryan Day let the passing game be a threat today. It was almost
0: like this gun that he constantly had on safety, except a lot of times in the past, we've seen Ryan Day just start shooting the gun when he didn't have to shoot it, when the run game was doing fine. I, I think he didn't do that today. There was a point in the game I even texted our testers. He had ran it 24 times where it was pretty much the Mayan Travion show, but that fullback dive to Mitch thrown in there. And they'd only thrown it 15 times. I don't know how many times in the last two or three years here where I've looked at a stat sheet and it was that significant that the run, they were running the ball more than they were throwing the ball. Usually, if it's that much of a, you know, a, just off, it's usually the other way. that they're yeah. throwing it too much and then we're all going, Ryan, why won't you run the ball? Today, to your point, He started the game off showing you I can get you this way and I can get you this way. You pick one. Wisconsin said neither. So he said, okay, we're going to hand the ball off. And then Travion and and Mayan did what they needed to do in the run game. But also, yes, I've said it. I think we've all said it. Sometimes this run game can get a little stagnant because there's no diversity to it. This isn't one of those days where any of that matters because guys are simply moving their guy at the line of scrimmage.
1: So, Wisconsin had two explosive plays in the run game, 10 or more yards. And one of them was that 75 yard touchdown against the backups. Iowa State had six in just the first two quarters. Yeah. So, really, it was like six to one mm-hmm. in real, in, in important time, first half of explosive plays in the run game.
2: It's just there. There are so many times when you watch, you watch a college football game, you watch an NFL game, and yards can be so hard to come by. You see, you see teams work super hard for four yards sometimes. Three different guys make great blocks. The running back does exactly what he's supposed to do at a second and seven. And Ohio State, I, I, again, I didn't realize uh, this is – they ran it like they were throwing it is how, like, I would – because, Nathan, like, I didn't realize there was such a disparity. I almost didn't realize they were running it that much. Because they were sort of throw running it. Like it was. 43
0: to 27 was the totals.
2: It was spread out. It was wide. It wasn't. Because when they ran it. Like when they ran it against Notre Dame. On the, the drive that iced the game. That was like Ryan Day was like. We ran it. Oh. And everybody was like. That's what I want. And after the game. I was like. Is it what you really want? I don't But like this. This felt like it. Nathan. It, it, it felt wide open to me even though they ran it more than they threw it. Am I crazy? Like, do you know what I'm saying? Kind of it just, there's there's the stats and the run pass. Okay, this is the real stuff, but it's the I, it felt wide open all night to me. And that's what I like about Ohio State because wide open in space, one-on-ones, what are you going to do? You can't cover these guys. Sometimes when they get in tight, that's pounded, it's like, why are you trying? That's not really what you do best. This was a run heavy game in a way that kept it explosive and wide open. And that feels like, oh no, that's, that could work against a lot of people.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And I'm, I'm doing some math here. It was, um, Henderson and Williams, it was 6.9 yards of carry, but I want to take out the Henderson or I'm sorry, the two touchdown runs for mine Williams. Cause they were two and three yards and that's as many yards as he could have gotten on those. Mm. So he was like, he was, he was capped on those. So it's, Seven point two three yards per carry. If you take out the two mine Williams touchdown runs, where he couldn't go any more than the five total yards he got there, I mean that that says a lot. Like when you're when you're gashing Wisconsin to that degree, Wisconsin can't win that game. Like if you're doing that to them in the run game, you know that their explosive plays on top of that in the pass game, they can't possibly keep up with that. You're that's how you're knocking a team like that off the field.
2: So then that is the thing that sort of what I wrote post-game was like, hey, you know, Ryan Day had gone against Jim Leonard, the Wisconsin defensive coordinator before. Nathan, you did a good job this week sort of talking about the best defensive coordinators in a story that you wrote that Ryan Day had ever faced, and and he had faced Jim, Le- Jim Leonard three times before. But those games, you know, one of the games was 10-0 at the half. One of the games Ohio State was behind at the half. You know, one of the games they started with three punts. You know, they wound up with it like their. Yards per play in each of those games wound up being in the sixes. This was 8.3 when they took the starters out. It wound up being 7.7. And I thought this, again, when you have Wisconsin week, Stephen, you talk about identity. Mm -hmm. I thought this was Jim Leonard, who might be the best defensive coordinator in the Big Ten, now that Mike McDonald's back in the NFL, getting the fuller, fuller dose of the Ryan Day identity, as opposed to the first three times, which was Ryan Day's first year as the offensive coordinator in 2017 in the Big Ten title game when JT Barrett was coming off the orthoscopic knee surgery. And then 2019, it's a regular season game, which was more like Chase Young dominated that game. And then the offense took a little bit while to get going. And then the Big Ten championship game where Justin was kind of hurt in 2019, and they were down at the half. This was... Hey Jim Leonard, you're good, but let me show you the Ryan Day identity in that it was continually spread out, but then balanced within that style. And I I felt not that it's new, but I kind of thought that was about as good, maybe again, and it slowed down a little bit in the second half. But like the Michigan State game last year, Michigan State stunk on in the past defense. It was like they were a top 10 team, but we all, this is the second ranked defense in the country by, by football outsiders. We know Wisconsin has limitations, but this felt like, Oh, this is the Ohio state offense. And I don't think Jim Leonard had ever really faced this that way before.
0: I think Ryan Day's got a little bit of a competitive streak. some ego there because there might be a case that this is the most, you know, complete, Ryan Day play caller experience we've seen since the Sugar Bowl where he's, like, tearing Brent Venables apart?
2: Yeah, no, I think that might be true since the, since the semifinal in 20 when they got the revenge uh, on Clemson. Brent I mean, been,
1: the, the first half of that Michigan State game last year was... But, a, yeah, but and, like, and, like you just said, like, Michigan State's pass defense is already
0: awful, and the best pass, passing offense should be able to do that to the worst passing defense, so that you have to work in that caveat. There's no caveat of, like, Oh, which, which is the second best defense in the country by the numbers standpoint coming into this week. Just like with Clemson, even in 2019, before things went off the rails, Dave was kind of toying with Brent Venables for a lot of that first half. They just couldn't finish drives. Like, there is something I think to what it is, these you know, more high profile, I guess, for lack of a better way of putting it, defensive coordinators who can kind of get the job done. I think Dave pulls out his best play calling ability.
1: Rolls like, Bowl last year was pretty good too,
2: Nathan. You, yeah, once the
0: defense started helping them out, yes, it was pretty
2: good. You, you asked as we were finishing the, the post game, they like think how did this compare to like the 2014 Big Ten Championship when Ohio State beat Wisconsin 59 to zero? In that game, it just felt like, hey, Ohio State has a a new quarterback with a rocket arm and a high jumper receiver, and these Wisconsin corners can't cover them, and like that's it. And Cardale's going to throw it up, and they're they're going to have no chance. I thought like the first drive that was that was not necessarily like elite individual talent by Ohio State, which when you think about Ohio State receivers versus Wisconsin DBs, you, even when Wisconsin is highly ranked defensively, you're probably going to see that. I felt like Ryan Day was scheming him open. It was like, oh, Cade Stover's in the slot and now he's running down the middle of the field and there's nobody there oh, looks like they're playing zone here. Now here comes a mech on a crossing route. And guess what? There's nobody near him. And that was what felt different to me, Nathan. I don't think people are surprised when an Ohio State passing game just looked more talented than a Wisconsin pass defense. But this is, hey, it's Jim Leonard. And it was like Ryan Day kind of was doing anything he wanted to do. And that was what felt a little bit different about it to me because Ohio state out talenting somebody in the big 10 is, is nothing new.
1: Yeah. The, I, when I did that breakdown earlier this week, it was rare that a like day had faced a guy multiple times and not put up at least five, one 500 yard game on him. Leonard was like the exception. Now they came close. I think they had like a 492 in there and, but all in all three games have been in the four hundreds. Uh but it wasn't just the sheer numbers tonight. Like it, they had averaged, I think, six point four yards per play in those three games against Leonard this Night it was seven point seven. Like that's a pretty significant jump up. Like they just they they did what they wanted to tonight, and I think some of it is, um, you know, Wisconsin's playing without some DBs. They're missing some guys, obviously. But that this was just we, we're starting. This was the best example we have. Because it's the first one, but I think it gives us a a um, a picture of what the rest of this Big Ten season could look like up until Ohio State plays Penn State at least. Because I don't like we saw the results today of teams like Rutgers and Michigan State, like the next two opponents Ohio State has coming up. We could be looking at um, a, a defense that could really establish itself in these next two weeks. Hey, yeah. By the way, just so you guys know, I'm not going to the Rutgers game. Again, the home game. <laughs> I don't
2: want to go <laughs> again. I was. Scored... Are you ever going to watch Rutgers play football in person again? It's no, been since 2019, since you've actually seen them. I just I don't. I, I said what I had to say. I have nothing else to say about Rutgers. Once I write Rutgers will never beat Ohio State. What else is there to mm. say? What else is there? No, to I say?
1: Think, I think you should do what you would do if it was a Rutgers away game. You should fly to New York. Fly to Newark. Take the train in to New York City. See a show. Get some of those empanadas you see like. See
0: a show.
1: <laughs> write, write about that. Yeah. I'd say and say and write it. in that you learned more about football watching um, "Hello Dolly" or whatever than you did actually watching. Would have if you'd watched Rutgers play football.
2: "Hello Dolly" is a great show. So anyway, I. If this headline off the Rutgers game, I didn't go to Rutgers, Ohio State. I did this instead. Colon, Doug Lane. I'd read
0: that. I'd I'd read that.
2: I actually think I'd read that. And then it's just like three and a half hours with me. What did I do? Did I rob a bank? Did I take a nap? Did I go? Did I stage a production of Hello, Dolly? We have time for me to figure that out. Definitely took a nap. You definitely. Oh, Ohio State, excuse me, Wisconsin coming into the game had actually was ranked when uh, they were tied for 12th in the nation and the fewest plays of 10 yards or more allowed this season. They had allowed 26 in three games. So basically nine per game. Not. And again, of course, it's a lower level of competition. I get it. Nine per game. Ohio State gained 10 yards or more, Nathan, on 10 of their first 14 plays. And and that's the thing about this. Like sometimes the stats, it's like, well, you know, kind of like we do with the Braylon Allen 75-yard run. Well, you take out this 90-yard play or you take out these two. There's nothing to take out of this Ohio State performance because they didn't have. I don't even know what their longest play was. What's their longest play? Their longest play was 30, Was the 33-yard catch and run yeah. by Emeka. They didn't have a play longer than 33 yards, but they averaged 7.7 yards because, Nathan, they had constantly had plays of 10 yards or more. That, again, was the thing. Everybody, you break a tackle, you pop a run, and you're gone, right? That is not what they did. They got chunk play after chunk play after chunk play just doing sort of like basic offensive things which again is why I think that's more impor- impressive than
1: we threw up a fifty-fifty ball and our receiver caught it for a seventy-yard touchdown. But honestly, now if you think about it, so they've given up twenty-six in three games. So when you consider the two of those games were New Mexico State and Illinois State, which is an FCS program that's like not even like a great FCS program, I mean, so but
2: again it's twelfth. It's the twelfth best in the nation, and everybody's playing. Yeah, it's a bad team. Like that, like. That,
1: yeah. You know, yeah, I I, whatever Uh, I I think that, you know, anyway, we get in. You get into conference play. And as Michigan, I think probably found out a little bit today as some other teams around the country, are finding out when they get to play their first conference game like it's it's an equalizer. And I think we learned uh, we learned some things about both Ohio State and Wisconsin today.
0: Heck of an equalizer to have in week four.
2: So
1: let's let's touch on the running backs briefly here.
2: Trevion Henderson, 21 for 121, 5.8 yards per carry. Mayan Williams, 11 for 101, 9.2 yards per carry and two touchdowns. Dallin Hayden got some work late with the backups. Overall, 43 carries, 258 total rushing yards, six yards per carry. Steven, you were kind of asking about this. I think you're planning to write about this after the game. Just this, yeah. it's the Trevion and Mayan. They went, it was It's sort of bit like the Travion wound up with twice as many carries. They kind of went to Travion late when the game was sort of out of reach. There was a time early when it was still kind of a game where they were really lean, leaning on Mayan for a little bit there. But whatever this, this balance is, it seems to be working, and it sounds like everybody's happy. Yeah, it's almost like Mayan had to carry a lot of the load last week.
0: Trey was out, so they were kind of like saving Mayan at halftime and letting Trey kind of catch up on some carries. But yes, Ohio State... Outside of the 2019 J.K. Dobbins is our workhorse. We're going to give him the ball 300 times a year. It seems like they've been trying to do this two back thing where they have two guys, you know, just sharing that load instead of having one workhorse. They had it with J.K. and, and Mike uh, Weber in 2018. And then it was supposed to be Trey Sermon and Master Teague in 2020, but it was kind of weird. And then last year uh, they, they were doing a lot of different stuff. But for some reason this time it's working and I'm, trying to get an understanding kind of a hold on why it's working with these two and maybe not guys in the past. And some of this might just be, they are the kind of, they're not completely the same, but they can do a lot of the same stuff, but they use them in a way where it's like maximizes them because we always say this with mine. It's like, Oh, some of the stuff he gets is because he's going up against tired defensive linemen who have been dealing with offensive lines all day well, that works for Mayan Williams because of the way he runs. It's almost like you just got done dealing with Travion Henderson. And now you got to deal with this guy who's even more physical than he is. But then also, J.K. even admitted like he fought it a lot. He fought that two-back thing where it, even if it wasn't every other series, it's like I have to come off the field for somebody else. It doesn't feel like Mayan Williams and Travion, Travion especially, are fighting this happening and the fact that they both see the bigger picture in a way that maybe – one, Master Teague and Trey Sermon weren't good at the same time, so they really couldn't do it in 2020. And while J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber seemed to be fighting it all in 2018.
1: Yeah, you're hitting the nail on the head because 2020 wasn't a two-back system. They had two backs who neither one of them were playing all that great until yeah. Trey Sermon finally took off. They wanted one guy to step up and take the job, and they were both kind of refusing to do it for a long time. Uh, and the difference is that Trevion Henderson isn't the head case that J.K. Dobbins was in 2018. I don't know what other word to use for it. Well,
2: I also they seem very strategic about it because, again, trying to like read the reverse of what people are saying. Ryan Day was talked after the game about Trevion Henderson's energy before the game and how much energy he brought to warm ups, how much he brought to the locker room. Ryan Day felt it. And then Donovan Jackson came in after the game and said Travion had all this energy before the game, which is the kind of thing. And I, I'm not doubting it. but. When coaches aren't winning enough games, they talk about the team's GPA. If Trayvon Henderson had run for 226 yards, it's like, oh, his energy is great. I don't know. But he also was karate kicking people and had three 50-yard runs, right? I think people are trying to make sure that everybody's taken care of. And I'm not dismissing the idea that Trayvon Henderson brought energy because I think that's probably good that Trayvon Henderson – He was hurt last week. He probably wanted to come back in. They did get him over 20 carries with the way they used him sort of in the second half of the game. But I think Mayan is playing very well. So I don't think Trey can be like, what's up? Why are you giving the ball to this guy? And it's like, well, yeah. Because did you see him run through those two tackles behind the Mm -hmm. first down mark? Like, Mayan's doing his job. And then Trey's like, okay. But as you said, Stephen, like Trey maybe came here with the idea of I'm probably gonna split carries, but he just maybe thought it was gonna be with Evan Pryor. So I do think I don't think it magically happens. I don't think it always happens. I don't think it even's guaranteed to keep going from game to game. But I think right now it is working because the the second guy is playing very well, and there's sort of no dispute. That Mayan deserves carries here, that, and I, I think, think that's the. And difference. I think everybody is working together to make sure that the top guy is in a good headspace about that. And then when they like things like this are all part of that. So I do think it takes work, but I think, as you said, I think it's working.
0: Yeah, it's it's Trey already having signed up for this coming, but I do think the more important part is. Mayan Williams is playing at a level where it's not obvious who the better back is. Even if we know who has a higher ceiling, I think everybody, everybody knows that Travion Henderson has first round ceiling, uh, Doak Walker, all that stuff. But it's a little easier to sell this when, when you take Travion off the field, the production doesn't drop. And as a matter of fact, there are times where maybe the production even gets raised because Mayan's having a better day. If, Well, with J.K. and Mike, no matter how much they ran, it was always clear, J.K.'s better. Why is he coming off the field? Yeah. And if we're saying that, J.K.'s probably thinking the same thing in the back of his head. But to your point, Travion Henderson, 5.8 yards per carry today. Mayan Williams, 9.2. And as Nathan pointed out, you take away the the touchdowns where it's like where he can't go any farther than two or three yards. You even raise that even more. Mayan is playing at a level where it's like, Travion looks kind of crazy complaining that Mayan Williams
2: is getting great. He's getting carries. But we, but Nathan, Trayvon Henderson is a five-star recruit who came in as a true freshman yeah. and saved the backfield last year. And at the moment they are not trying to tamp down a big head with him. They are trying to build him up. Right. I think it is a clear They I think they're challenging him at times. Ryan day, besides the energy came out and said, he ran so hard today. He ran so hard. They're trying they're they're tr- the stuff Kevin Wilson said about hey I love one cut runners right you get I think they're they're working as a team to build a structure around Travion to bring out the best of him while understanding that the best thing for the offense right now is the two of them together and it's all good and I think I think all involved do deserve credit probably starting with Mayan Williams for playing like a baller but I think Kevin Wilson and Tony Alford deserves the most credit because it's his room. But then Kevin Wilson and Ryan day and everybody talk about it. And then Travion for, for like, it seems like he's getting it. And if all that remains in place and I'm not doubting that it will, but I'm also not guaranteeing that it will, if all that remains in place, then Nathan, then this feels like something that can be very productive this season for Ohio state.
1: It is interesting. The, the balance of the, whatever you want to call it, the mind space for those two guys. Because because part of it is, if 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 both of those guys are playing at the same level, that's seen as more of a positive for one guy than the other. If they're both playing at a, whatever, 87 out of 100, a 92 out of 100, then that's seen as mine Williams playing above expectations, above his recruiting ranking, above uh his abilities even potentially whereas with trevion henderson it's like oh you're only at mine williams's level and that's not really fair to anybody but i think that is how it, we've even sometimes look at it certainly how fans i think sometimes look at it because they expect certain things based on the recruiting like if mine williams is playing at that level okay credit to him but then shouldn't you be in an even higher level so I, i'm still not 100 percent sure um, what we should be expecting from Trevin Henderson at this point, but because we have seen the high end of it, but we haven't necessarily seen it consistently. So are our are, are expectations off a little bit on him, or should we be not even thinking about it that way? Should we be just be thinking about it as this is what the run game does right now? Because we're also talking, making having this whole conversation now outside of what that offensive line did, which you Doug were obviously referencing early in this conversation too.
0: I think this is a different conversation when we if in a playoff situation when you're trying to get through a season and it's week four I get it but like I think everybody part of the keeping his head straight is like they're gonna need Travion's home running hitting ability against a Georgia or an Alabama or a USC or whoever they play in the playoff and that's the games where it's a little bit more important that he's getting the ball 25 times
2: than right now um I'm trying to look here how many they did not throw it to anybody other than the main receivers tonight. Is this correct? Am I looking at this correctly? Am I looking at this correctly? Does trevian Henderson not have a catch this year? He does not. That's correct. Yep. So I would rectify that. <laughs> I well, mean, no, it, okay. Some of that context is like,
0: he gets like dinged up sometimes. And then we're spending a lot of time on the sidelines
2: finding where he is. Did they take his helmet? Is he in the tent? Well, well, and I'm just saying, but he has uh, he now has four, he had 21 carries tonight, right? He had 21 carries tonight, he had 29 coming in. He has 50 carries and no receptions. I don't think that's the right balance.
1: That is a little weird. That's certainly not what we would have expected coming in. I had a, uh, I was responding to a text or question, I think this week about that Um, and kind of looking back at some game and it, it is a little bit weird. Number one, that just because his reps have been down, you know, he, he came out of some games earlier, only played the first series against Toledo. So that takes away some opportunities to, to catch passes. But I don't think that they're, Avoiding him necessarily. I don't think they're targeting Mayan Williams as a receiver in a way that they're not targeting him.
2: They're just not calling screens for the backs. I mean, like, there are I times when have, you throw
1: a screen to Trey, it looks like he shot out of a cannon. I think that's. I think some of that's Cade Stover, too.
0: Yeah, I was going to say that. I think Cade Stover's, because there's only five catches by running backs, and um, two of them are Dallin Hayden, three of them are Mayan Williams. I think Cade Stover is steal, stealing the running back catches.
1: And, and one of those, one of the Williams ones was in the Notre Dame game, the famous one where he, you know, has to so come yeah, back play and play. Yeah. And that was not like written up that way for him. That was yeah. kind of like last ditch. And I think that that could have just as easily been Trayvon Henderson on that.
2: But they've play. just gotten – they just have not done the screen game at all with the backs. Right. No, and, correct. and, and, and it's one of those things that's like, well, how come CJ Stroud's not thrown to his check downs? It's like because his first two reads are open all the time. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't throw a six yard tech check down to Trevor Henderson. I was busy throwing a 33 yard crossing route to a Mecca egg Sorry, Trey. So that's not, I'm not really talking about the checkdowns. I'm talking about like, hey, let's run a screen and get a blocker out in front of our slingshot running back and let him do what he does. Because I think that's one of the better things that he does. And right. again, I, I, Mayan has three catches. I would... I would not be in a hurry to throw a screen to Mayan Williams. No offense. I would just give it to Mayan Williams and let him try to run somebody over between the tackles. But I would try to do put that in my game plan and try to throw a screen to Trevin Henderson at least once
1: a game. Well, how did we know? Like, what was our best evidence that Trevin Henderson should have been the starting running back for that team last year, it was Uh, that screen pass against Minnesota that he took off with. And we were like, oh, okay. Yeah. That's that. We thought that was what that was going to be. And there it is. Yeah. So maybe, maybe give him the ball.
2: Yeah. So, Hey, Ryan, Mr. 52 points, why don't you throw to your running backs more? Okay. When we come back, who's the guy we got to talk about? The Heisman front runner, CJ Stroud next on Buckeye talk. So we're back and CJ again, entertaining in the post game said, he has to make sure he doesn't get bored handing the ball off, which is so beautiful because it's so honest. It. Yeah, And it's like he – but he is – he's not fighting it. He's just admitting it, that he knows he doesn't really want to throw it 45 times a game and run at 20. He wants them to be balanced and effective, but it's <laughs> – I think he it's wants to throw it 45 ex- times a but game. He just,
0: I think he understands that you can't do that and have a sustainable offense more well, than it's, I, mean, I don't it want to throw it. Because like, if it was up to him, they'd
2: throw it all 75 plays. Well, could, no, but I don't think he would because I think, I think the angel on the shoulder mm-hmm. is holding a national championship trophy. And it's rubbing the national championship trophy. And it has a halo and it has wings and it's dressed in white. And it says, CJ, look at this. You know how you get this trophy? Offensive balance, spread them out and run it. And then the devil is, is the holding 20? the Heisman. <laughs> and the devil's like, where's your 5,000 passing yards? What's Where, this Joe Burrow thing? What are we doing here? What are we, what, we're, what, we got two backs, 32. We're running the ball for two. You only threw for 281 yards. What are we doing, CJ? And I think, I think he tells the Heisman devil, CJ, to cram it. And he says, I'm with you, Angel National Championship, CJ. But then when he's with the Angel National Championship, CJ, he gets he gets laborious sometimes. That's all. I,
1: I don't know. I think he's smart enough to know that you can't hit those play action shots over the top if you never actually hand the ball off. Like you, The team does have to believe that you are going to hand the ball off in order for a, a play action pass to work.
2: I mean, yeah, I mean, but he said it. He said it, Stephen. He said sometimes I get bored. Yeah.
1: There was a there was a play in the second half of this game where it looked like he might have literally fallen asleep while before he took the handoff because he oh, turned it to hand it off and there was no one there to. Like give it to. He had to then turn around to the other side and hand it. it was a Henderson that he handed it off to. Yeah, for and, a, and
0: then a, like, like Henry, yeah, then Trey like jumps over a defensive line, but it's just like what is happening here.
1: Uh, It was Uh, a little funky. Like he, like he had sort of gotten a little bit bored of the idea of handing it off to the point where he didn't know which side it was supposed to go to. So, but I don't think he finds winning boring. So
2: no, he doesn't. Angel CJ Uh doesn't find winning boring at all. That's why I'm here to be his, the voice for devil CJ. Yeah. Maybe we could get someone to draw that for us. Or we could try to craft it into a question for Tuesday. CJ. (laughs) let's say there's a devil, that, a devil holding a Heisman and an angel holding a national championship trophy what That's would really you wrong. say to both of them in the midst of a game because again he only completed 17 passes and I do think while this is the interesting part of this I thought this was a, an a game from scheme style balance all that but CJ wasn't at his best right Stephen I mean he hit he, he had the pick. Which, which was basically Ryan Day trying to get a little greedy at the end of the half. Uh, he missed a couple throws, and sometimes you watch CJ and you think to yourself, well, he didn't miss a throw the whole game. I mean, he would point it out, right? He, he hung out, you know, Cade Stover out to dry in a couple, missed one in the end zone. He said he had two to Cade, and he was excited. We got two. I missed him on another one. He said Cade said that was his fault, but CJ thought it was his fault. So he, the offense was, was really, I think, what it should be, but it was that without him – being absolutely positively at his best, which I think is kind of encouraging for the offense because he's at his best a lot, and then what?
0: It's only the fifth time in his career as a starter that he's had less than 20 completions in the game to that point of only 17 completions, which is, that's obviously a pretty decent amount of completions. I think what's interesting, though, is he had some wild decisions. Only one of them he actually had to pay for, but none of them felt like... Kill the drive. Because I remember the nebraska game last year where he was making a lot of these decisions where he was like playing with fire. And it's like every time it would like kill the drive before it even got started. I think everything else was working so well today that he could have the I don't know why you made that throw. I don't know why you made that decision every so often. And it didn't matter because as we mentioned with the run game, because then my Williams Travion Henderson would carry it eight yards and it'd be third and two and they'd be right back on schedule again. So that I think that's a testament to the rest of the offense. While today was really a lot more of C.J.'s had some really good moments with the touchdown passes,
2: but there were no, the efficiency that we're used to seeing with him wasn't there. What would you think of the pick, Nathan? He, he Ryan Day said it like Ryan Day. It was like less than a minute in the first half. Ryan Day decided to push it. He said, "I should have just taken three knees and run off the field to booze." And it's like okay. Would you? you scored
0: thirty-one in the first you know, half. Yeah, Would they have booed second. you? Yes. I mean, they booed. They booed him when
1: they settled for the field goal. You so, know yes. what? Doesn't matter. Those boos. They
0: Literally. did. People
2: booed when they kicked the field goal today. Yeah, on Saturday night, yeah. people booed.
0: Yeah, they boo anytime they settle for a field goal. And who cares? You you won.
1: Yeah, I, I don't. I, he shouldn't care whether or not people are booing in that situation or not um that it's not even it it's, it should be a non factor but i i what did i think of the pick i thought it was a bad throw i thought i thought it was a one of the one of the few like chinks in the armor that we've seen with with CJ Stroud this year and listen they kept the starters in pretty late in this game again on on offense and defense like uh, ryan day i think was clearly conscious of getting cj stroud some numbers to some extent um although again they were keeping the ball on the ground for a good chunk of that but like if if you if you want CJ Stroud to there's going to be other games like this like you almost don't expect to have to find him extra yards against Wisconsin because you know it's going to come against Rutgers and you know it's going to come against Indiana like you know there's going to be these other thumpings coming up down the line so you almost like expect to to, to blow those games up a little bit and here you're going to just get naturally get the yards by keeping him in longer, but they had to almost push it before. half. I think that's almost maybe what Ryan day was thinking, right? Like you, you got to push it a little bit before half to try to get him one more shot at at some yardage, some points, whatever. So um, and they can play the blame game all they want, but I don't know if he had scored a touchdown there, then I don't think Ryan day would have been apologizing for that. Like saying he should have come off the field. Like, you know, it, it was it was it was his worst one of his worst throws of the season so far. What are you going
0: to do? Bad throw. And then CJ came out and said, "Yeah, I heard everything Coach Day said. That I don't agree with him. It was my fault."
2: It was. I mean, it wasn't exactly like right. it was just on the it was on the right sideline. So it was like twenty percent reminiscent of the last interception against Oregon mm, last year, yeah. but it was just, it was sort of like uh, he just overthrew a receiver. Cause I think he, I think there was maybe a linebacker underneath. And he was trying to get a little high. I thought he overthrew like maybe three guys today, but do you think so? Ryan day on one shoulder is an angel holding a national championship trophy, getting booed. And the angels like, it's okay. Sometimes you get booed on the way to victory. And on the other wow. shoulder <laughs> is a devil and the devil is getting cheered. Even if the devil's kind of doing the wrong thing to get the cheers, but the devil's like, yes, the people love me. We're up 38 to seven at the half instead of 31 to seven. And Ryan day fight. Listen, if you don't think Ryan day fights, Ryan day's devil. I mean, here's the thing. I'm not a thousand percent sure that CJ Stroud's devil wants to throw it. Every play. I think Ryan day's devil wants to throw it. Every play.
0: Nothing makes that Ryan Day's devil more sick than handing the ball off. Matter of fact, that devil was at its lowest point when Trey Sermon was running all over Northwestern in the Big Ten Championship game.
2: Yeah. So, I, I, I mean, like, they're battling it together on the way to potentially the national title game, and that's what they have to do. But the good thing is for them that, in the end, the thing they do best still is... Chucked the ball all over the place. And by the way, CJ Stroud had five touchdown passes and um, made it look, it was, but it was even funny, Nathan. Like, was it the last touchdown pass? The one that he zipped a
1: laser. Yeah.
2: That it was like, it, it was I don't know. One. That was yeah. a devil throw. That was a devil throw. That was like, the safety is right there, yeah, but I'm yeah. going to throw it anyway. I'm just going to throw it's, it 120 miles an hour.
1: Yeah. Stephen. Steven, we're sitting next to the other and Steven's like oh that's an NFL throw and I'm like he better not throw that in the NFL because it's going to get picked off by like three different people at the same time Like that's you can do that against like whatever stiff safety Wisconsin has you cannot do that in the NFL that was a interesting decision made by a very talented arm that was one for CJ one for CJ he's he's definitely he he had some interesting ones today
2: but but like still really good and not like not ridiculous not like inexplicable, what were you thinking? I mean, he just, I what was the one? Well, it's not, it's not what they're going through. I mean, he made a lot of good throws. Like he came out early on and was just like, here you go this, here you go that. Okay, we're great. We're good to go. And, you know, I just think um, he and Day, he and Ryan Day are in a really good spot. And this, in the end, we can wrap up with this because everybody needs to go to bed. This is what Ryan Day wants, right? I mean, it's just, he's not going to run. Did he run? He's not going to run. Nobody wants him to run. Call him a Nobody wants him to run. But Ryan Day wants other people who can run. And then he wants CJ to diagnose. And then Ryan Day wants to be able to be as balanced as he feels like he needs to be in that moment. But I think he likes, I think he really liked keeping it spread out. And when I asked him about it after the game, he said one of those where that's the idea. Right. I mean, it's sort of like anything. It's like run from throwing formations and throw from running formations. But they mostly just ran out of spread out passing formations today. Cade was out in the Tim May was asked about it. Cade, I don't know what the breakdown PFF will have it, what the breakdown was of Cade in the slot as opposed to inline tight end. I mean, the whole 12 personnel thing like that was not this was spread it out. This was much closer to four receivers the whole game. And then just don't, run excuse me like that. Run out of that, but not really four receivers. But basically, no, Kate Stover is all of a sudden, honestly, Kate Stover a, is apparently Gronk. And we didn't a, know it. People call someone calls him Farmer Gronk. Farmer Gronk yeah. There was a farmer who caught a pass, and farmer Gronk was his name. Oh G-R-O-N-K-G. He's Farmer Gronk though. Yeah. Cage Stover has gone from a farmer to a
0: linebacker to a defensive end to a tight end to a linebacker and back to a tight end. And now he might be an NFL level. I thought
2: you were like, this is a lead. This is like the lead of like a, some 9,000 word story. It is. Stover has gone from a farmer, from a farmer. Yeah. From a farmer to a linebacker, to a tight end, to a linebacker, to a tight end, to a hero, to a hero. And then back to a farmer again that'll be yeah like when Cade's like 40 and he has like four super bowl rings he's like i just want to be i just want to be a farmer man what are you, what are you leave me alone um, him,
0: Tommy eichenberg and steel chambers on the dairy farm in mansfield ohio
2: he got flipped on his head he did looked, right. looked a little dicey yeah. um the, the one where he landed he really landed in a way like it was more on his neck that yeah. um he he came and ryan day said i was worried about that i'm glad glad he's okay But the the point is that when you split him out as a super physical linebacker at heart, his hands, two things have happened. And again, like I certainly if I have whatever doubts I've had about Mayan Williams, most of them were based on last year. I still think Trevion is more of a big play threat. But like Ryan Day said, it was during the midst of this preseason. It wasn't based on last year. He said Mayan was a playmaker since he got here. But it was this preseason where Ryan Day was like, oh, okay. And, and Mayan Williams earned what is this real, 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 real role now. That, Mayan Williams came a long way in August, I think. And I, Nathan, I don't know what Cade Stover did. In March, he was a linebacker, and now he has great hands. We knew he could block. What, all spring, the number one thing we talked about was like, well, they don't have any tight ends. And now Cade Stover is like a legitimate weapon in the passing game. We we figured he'd clear people out in the run game. This guy runs routes and catches passes. He doesn't drop stuff, and he is a real weapon. And to put him out in the slot the whole game like he's Kyle Pitts is just another evolution of that because you can't change personnel as Wisconsin because it's still a 250-pound guy who will block your head off if you're not careful, but now he's out in the slot. He acted like Jackson Smith the Jigba tonight. It really is quite a thing for them to be able to have that personnel package, spread it out and run it. That I think is, that is Ryan day, the devil and the, and the angel are square dancing together. That's what it's all about.
1: I wrote before the game, when I saw that Jackson Smith the Jigba wasn't going to play, I kind of thought that might mean a lot of 12 personnel tonight. Because we've seen that. Which game was? I guess the Arkansas State game. I think they came out in 12 personnel when when Jackson Smith didn't start, and they just had um, uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. and Ibuka on the field to start that game. And I got partially, though, because Fleming still wasn't playing. So that changes the. But anyway. Um, So I thought maybe they would come out and do the same thing again tonight. But I think it goes back to what we talked about at the very first uh, at the start of this, that Wisconsin sees its one identity that it has to come out and try to beat you with because that's who it is. Whereas Ohio State looks at what Wisconsin's defensive identity might be, what what Wisconsin would want Ohio State to attack it with, and says, no, we're going to do the other thing. We're going to make you uncomfortable because we have so many different ways of doing this. And we're comfortable in so many different uh, capacities here that we can maybe do the thing that isn't exactly our number one chief strength. We can approach it a different way, and it's still going to be something that is going to really frustrate you and be difficult for you to defend. That's what they did, I thought, coming out and spreading it out the way they did.
2: What if we just call Cade, Stover, and Jigba, CSN, JSN and CSN? It's all good to go. It's about working in the middle of the field, right, Stephen? That's what it's about. Whoever it is, work the middle of the field. And Cade St- Jackson Smith and Jigba owns that. There was a nice. play where a mechic tonight caught one easy kind of middle of the field and then exploded. It was like, okay, that looks familiar. But, but that was part of the thing last year. It's like, why did they throw to Rutgers? Well, because Jackson Smith and Jigma took over that entire part of the passing game. Between mm-hmm. the hash marks, that's his area. And in his absence, Cade Stober makes a difference in that area of the field. And when you can threaten the middle, as well as deep shots down the sideline, stuff horizontal, man, there's, there's, it's like a tic-tac-toe board, man. Like there's every little box you can check because you could hit him everywhere.
0: I think the combination of him and Mecha make up for Jackson. Because they like do different parts of what made Jackson great. It's like, Amecha, at least not yet, isn't like it doesn't look like he's elite at the whole. Here's a four yard catch. Can you turn it into a fourteen yard play for me, please and thank you very much. Like Jackson could, but he's a really physical receiver in there, and Jackson's a pretty physical receiver, so he takes care of that part. While because he can't do the whole take the four yard catch and make it a fourteen yard play. That's where Cade Stover comes in as a guy who is a vertical threat at this point. I mean, they're sending him down the seam multiple, like in a way that we kept pleading for them to do with Jeremy record. Who's probably looking at all these games and doing the Leonardo DiCaprio meme at this point. Like, why didn't you do any of that stuff for me? But it's like, if Cade Stover is handling more of the downfield process of like work in the middle of the field, and you've still got that aspect of, of Jackson Smith, the Jigba's ability to route run in there that a Mecca brings, then that's where the whole can Ohio State win without Jackson Smith? The jig,
2: but question becomes a yes. All right, that'll do it. Come back on, I guess Monday it is. We'll put Ohio State in the national context. Some goofy stuff happened. Man, USC barely won. Clemson barely won. Michigan got pushed pretty hard. Georgia had a goofy game with Kent State that nobody the saw flashes. coming. So it was a it was a goofy weekend. Uh, at a time when Ohio State faced what is a pretty good Big Ten team, maybe even better than that. I'll be curious to see what Wisconsin does the rest of the year, which will help put this in context a little bit more. right? Does, is it, Are they going to be? Nathan said, um, I think they could lose four, You know, maybe lose two more games. They're already two and two with the loss to Washington State thrown in here. Um, Minnesota looks pretty good in the West. I, I still think I might pick Wisconsin in the West because I just think Mertz with not as much pressure might be decent and they can get Braylon Allen going, but that'll, that'll put this game in context. But at the moment, we don't want again. we don't want to come in and be like, Oh, we think Wisconsin's pretty good. Then Ohio state drubs and be like, ah, Wisconsin stinks. This was Ohio state making Wisconsin do this. This Wisconsin defense is going to be ranked in the top 10 statistically at the end of the year, zero doubt about that. They always are. Because they, they play in the Big Ten West. And now they get to go play Spencer Petrus and Ryan Halinski and whatever other quarterbacks the West is throwing out there. So that's going to happen. But I also think Wisconsin will move the ball on some people. And they just, they did not really do it against Ohio State. Thanks to you guys for listening. Read cleveland.com slash OSU. For Nathan, for Stephen, I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye Talk.